It's Tuesday, May 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Motley Fool One, Morgan Housel, and also from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. Gentlemen, how's it going? Hello. Howdy, howdy. Lots going on today, including big news for Keurig and Coke, but we begin with a look at small caps and their recent pullback. Fellow fool Dan Kaplinger had a great article about this a few days ago, and he pointed out that over the last two months, the Russell 2000 has been through a nearly 10% correction, while the S&P 500 remains flat. Morgan. This is something you've been watching. What's going on with small caps? And it's not just small caps. It's it's growth companies, too. So we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of big names, <clears throat> excuse me, Netflix, Amazon, 3D Systems. A lot of these companies that have done extraordinarily well over the past 18 months have really been hit hard over the last two months. And it's really freaking a lot of investors out. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable. I think what everyone needs to know who owns these companies is... In, in any investment where you're going to get twice the returns, you're going to get twice the volatility. Right. That You should absolutely expect that. That's a near certainty that's going to happen. And if you're owning these companies that double over the course of the year or triple over the course of the year, there's going to be a big pullback. And a lot of people accept that in theory. When the stocks are going up, they say, oh, I'm okay with volatility. Or they'll say, you know, if shares fell 50%, that'd be great. I'd buy more. Mm-hmm. And then it happens in practice, and then they throw up their hands, and they want nothing to do with it. <laughs> or worse, they, they sell after that happens. It's really important that investors know what they're getting with a lot of these companies. A lot of these companies are incredible companies that are changing the world. Tesla and Amazon and Netflix are doing really great things. But when you have, you know, when you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, they're going to these are going to be volatile companies and it's really important to know yourself as an investor uh, to make sure that if you're owning these, especially if they make up a big part of your portfolio, that you're okay with big volatility because it's going to happen. Well, that's the question. So, is uh, you're saying stay the course, or is now the time to rebalance your portfolio and kind of get away from the small caps and maybe start looking at the larger caps, a safer play? If this really isn't for you, if you're freaking out now, maybe you start looking at some safer uh, companies. Well, uh, you know, it's it's great uh, for, for investors to rebalance their portfolio, but I think rebalancing after a stock falls fifty percent means buying more of it. That's mm. what rebalancing would entail. So if if, if a stock falls 50% and then you want to get it out of your portfolio, well, I mean, you, that, that could be an expensive lesson. Maybe it's a good lesson to learn, to mm. learn about your temperament as an investor. But you know, it's, it, it's, it's tough to rebalance after, a sh- after shares have taken a big beating to do, it, to do anything else but buy more of them. So. Right. Huh. Believe it or not, The Motley Fool, we encourage long-term buy and hold. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I crazy think one of the biggest talk. hurdles that we, Morgan and I were talking about this before taping, though, it's one of the biggest hurdles for us as as teachers more or less here to to clear is is getting people to get out of that mindset of uh you know buying high and selling low i mean mm-hmm. it's easy to love it when the market's going up and i mean every day you wake up you wake up get out of bed and you're in a good mood because you know the stocks are stocks do nothing but go up right. um, until they start going down and, and like morgan was saying with these higher risk uh, types of growth companies. I mean, they just are going to be more volatile. So, I mean, number one, I think it's really a testament to why we invest the way we do here in really evaluating this, these businesses from the bottom up. Uh, you know, looking at the markets that they serve, their competitive advantages, their management teams, the fundamentals behind their accounting, and, and understanding these as businesses rather than just stocks. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you know, just just the argument for diversity. It, it doesn't mean. Uh, you shouldn't own these types of growth companies. I mean, some people have a higher risk tolerance than others, so maybe some are going to own more of these style, uh, you know, these types of companies than others. But I, I mean, one way to get around that actually is to, uh, you know, we, we profess uh, for people to own uh, shares of an index fund or, mm-hmm. or an exchange traded fund that mirrors the S and P five hundred. So basically, for every dollar that you have in common stocks. 
you know, have a dollar that goes into one of those index funds or ETFs that mir- that mirrors the S and P five hundred to kind of help mitigate some of that volatility that you might see from those growthy names. And I think that can help, you know, calm you down a little bit when when the uh, tide starts turning against you. As the wise Judge Smales once said, it's easy to grin when your ship's coming in and you've got the stock market beat. There's there, there's one more quote that I love from but Jason the man Swag. worthwhile. Oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt your quote? Oh, you totally I, I, I did. I thought and you that were was done. Very rude. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Very, Please no, continue, it's, it's a Caddyshack quote. Please Come continue, on, sir. Morgan. The man worthwhile, it's the man that can smile when his shorts are too tight in the seat. Morgan, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I'm so, first, first, I want to no, say I'm sorry. No, I it's fine. It was I was just accident. talking. It's all good. There's a quote from Jason Zweig. He, he says, the stock market is a very expensive place to learn what kind of person you are. Hmm. That's, and that's good. And that's, like that. and that's really that's... true because a lot of people think, I'll be greedy when others are fearful. And then others get fearful and they go, nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what me. we say with all these companies with these big plans. It's one thing to say it. It's another to execute. Exactly. To quote the Dalai Lama, Gunga Lagunga. <laughs> anyway, in today's news, Keurig Green Mountain is enjoying a nice little pop after Coca-Cola announced it would increase its stake in the company from 10% to 16%. Jason, clearly Coke sees a bright future for at-home brewing. Do you? Um, okay, so I don't own any at-home uh, Keurig machines mm. or SodaStream machines. I I do like that market for the, the, the brewers. I, th- I think the coffee machine, obviously, is, is a proven entity. I mean, that's something that really uh, works for a lot of folks these days. And, I mean, you're even seeing that they're implementing those those Keurig machines in Subway now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can just assure you a fresh cup of coffee every time you, you get a cup of coffee there. I mean, they're not really known for their coffee, so I think they can kind of get away with that. Uh, kind of going back to the it's one thing to say it, it's another to execute. I mean, this is an interesting uh, situation here because – they haven't done anything yet. <laughs> you know, this is a neat deal, and, it, and it, it's neat to think about. Wow, they're going to develop this uh, machine that's going to let you make a cold glass of carbonated soda in your home. Uh, but but the machine hasn't come out yet, so we don't necessarily know uh, what kind of a market this is going to be. I mean, it, it's. I think it's safe to assume that Coca-Cola has not entered into this willy-nilly. So, I mean, they've done some research behind this to at least validate the market. And if anything, this deal does validate that the market opportunity is out there. But but as it stands in the United States, it's still a very niche market. It's something that SodaStream has done okay with. Um, but I mean, the the ramifications there on on the you know the the soda industry could be profound. I mean, it it's not the most pleasant thing to go lug a twelve pack or a twenty four pack of Diet Coke or seltzer or whatever it may be from the store to your car, from your car to your home, and, mm-hmm. and you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. And um, but it, it's yet to be executed. So I, I like the idea of it. It's just going to be just so many, so many questions left to be answered. <laughs> Soda Stream meets Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, or excuse me, Keurig Green Mountain. Yeah. In a uh, in an alley, in a dark alley, who walks away from that fight? So I actually posed this question early on Twitter because I was looking at some of the numbers behind here. You have Green Mountain, uh, you know, Cure Green Mountain is now trading at around uh, thirty times trailing free cash flow. Hmm. Uh, SodaStream actually doesn't have any free cash flow; they're free cash flow <laughs> negative. Okay. Um, now SodaStream has obviously had a bit of a uh, bit of a trying time here, and the stock is even down. I think on this news today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that ultimately. I think that SodaStream has has a lot. They have they have more challenges to overcome here. I think that this really uh, has validated what Green what Green Mountain what Kira Green Mountain has been doing all of this time. I mean, they've not only the soda relationship but the the Campbell's soup relationship. I mean, this this stuff is, you know, it's it's going to have an impact on people's uh, people's homes. Um, 
I think I got to go Green Mountain there. I got to go Keurig. Okay. Now, before the show, Chris Hill sent me an email with a link to Keurig's weekly chart on Yahoo Finance, and all he wrote in the body of the email was the word, damn. And that's understandable because in the last seven days, shares are up over 30%. We talked about Keurig earlier today and how it's up about 10% today, and you'd hesitate to buy on a 10% pop. Yeah. What about a 30% pop? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah I, don't, I don't like buying on these, these big news pops. To me, it's just not, uh, it's, it's not opportunistic. But, I mean, I, I think that uh, you know, there, Keurig has, has been a very volatile holding. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, accusations of, of potential accounting shenanigans and a short thesis out there from uh, – a reputable investor that, that hasn't seemed to really uh, work out so well. Uh, it, it has been a nice, uh, it has been a nice year so far for for Kira Green Mountain, and, and I don't really see any reason for that not to continue, hmm. other than this this product, this new soda deal doesn't doesn't pan out as as expected. I mean, if if the machine comes out. And it's a flop, and people aren't buying it, and they're not buying the pots. That is going to be really, really detrimental to the stock price. So that's 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 the biggest, I think, risk today. Is there's a lot of talk out there, but we haven't still seen the execution. Got to walk the walk. All right. Last but not least, the Commerce Department released retail sales numbers for early a- April. Excuse me, earlier today, and things didn't look too great. U.S. retail sales increased 0.1 percent over the course of April well below the 0.4% that economists expected. That's coming off of a slow winter for retailers after harsh weather kept them home, kept uh, consumers home. Any highlights from this report for you guys? First of all, any, any, anything that we can ha- be happy about? I, I, this is a perfect example, I think, of some of the, the, the three most important words when we're looking at the economy, and that's margin of error. Hmm. So they had the expectations that it would grow 0.4%. It came in at one at 0.1%. Well, that's within the survey's margin of error. So there's really... It's really difficult for especially journalists and headline writers to make that distinction because no one wants to admit, you know, because the headline that gets people to click is retail sales misestimates, you right. know, big slowdown. But statistically, it's basically the same number. And I think I think almost any month to month, or even quarter to quarter, uh, numbers for the economy should be taken with a huge grain of salt. And frankly, from an investing standpoint, they should be almost totally ignored. Hmm. It's they're, they're interesting numbers if you if you find it intellectually stimulating to you know think about what's going on in the economy. But for investors who are buying businesses to hold for the next ten or twenty years, it's totally irrelevant. Well, let's talk businesses to buy and hold for the next ten <laughs> to twenty years. Uh, <laughs> That's what, what we've been doing, right? Uh, exactly. That's, right. That's what we do here at the Fool. Uh, what do you guys like out there in retail? Well, what are you keeping your eyes on? Say, companies, sectors, what? I, I, have, I have nothing in retail that catches my eyes. No. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I, retail's retail's brutal. It's a sector, it's a I mean. very tough industry to get in for mm. two for two reasons. One, it's extremely competitive. Mm. Margins just get whittled down real quickly. And two, tastes are so fickle. Mm. And that's a, you see that especially with teen retailers about how fast styles can just be so hot one day and then no one wants anything to do with it the next. And right. It's very tough. It's a tough industry to be in. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great point. It, it's a brutal industry to be in. And by the same token, there's so much spending that goes on in the retail sector that you, you, you have to at least try to figure out a way to play a part in it. And, and, and I think that, you know, that, that Morgan made a great point there about teen retailers and, and the way fashion just changes so quickly. Um, I, I like the markets where it's a little bit it's a little bit less about fashion and more about the brand and the reputation and the actual market. So I like sporting sporting equipment and apparel. I think to me is just that's one that's going to be a little bit less cyclical. It's going to be a, a little bit less volatile. And I think that you, you can own a basket of Nike and Under Armour together 
and and virtually you know just set it and forget it. I mean that's going to be I think a long term winner. When you look at the historical performances of these companies, along with the leadership teams behind them, and and really the brand power there, because I think that is something it's not easily defined, but but having that brand power is is a big deal. And when you look at these companies and their gross margins over time, they're able to maintain pricing hmm. on those on those products that they sell. It's it's the companies that are always resorting to those big fire sales, the fifty percent off coupons to move that inventory. Those are the ones you have to be really scared of. And teen retail, I think, falls right in that boat. Uh, and so I, I like Under Armour and Nike together. Uh, I like looking at something like Amazon.com that just plays into that greater trend of e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Amazon is obviously more than just e-commerce, but but I think that e-commerce is, is still in the very early innings. Um, other than that, yeah, I, I think that uh, retail is one that you have to pick and choose your companies, understand valuation. Valuation is imperative there. Uh, because they they can fall just as quickly as they rise. Let's flip the script for a second. Who do you hate in retail? What is the worst company in retail? Is it Hot Topic and American Eagle and all those teen retailers? No, I mean I, I, this will shock no one, and it's 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 so common to hate these companies that it's it's probably the opposite. But Sears and JC Penney are just I mean, it's just <laughs> it's sad. Old. It's it's beyond hate. You just get sad. Mm. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll throw Radio Shack on top of that. Hitty. I think that's a trifecta of serious serious losing right there. <laughs> <laughs> on that high note, Morgan Housel, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. thanks. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by savvy shopper Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.